Profiles in Courage by John F. Kennedy describes acts of bravery and integrity by eight United States senators. Does anyone know even one doctor with courage to speak forthrightly about profiling? I think I found one. Stay with ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Dale McGee. Dr. McGee is the president of the Massachusetts Medical Society and past chair of the Society's Committee on Quality of Medical Practice. Dr. McGee is an assistant professor of clinical obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and holds a master's degree in health policy and quality measurement from Dartmouth Center for Health Policy. Today, we are discussing should doctors be profiled? Greetings, Dr. McGee, and thanks for taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Well, thank you for inviting me. Can you tell us how and when you got involved in the issue of profiling? Well, I think several years ago, I became interested in the connection between health policy, what was going on at the government level and with the plans, and what was actually happening in our offices, and felt strong enough about it to take a year off from my practice and go to the Dartmouth Center for Health Policy and get a master's degree in health policy and quality measurement. I also, at the same time, became involved with the Massachusetts Medical Society's Committee on the Quality of Medical Practice, which is their health policy branch and spent a great deal of time working with them, working with the physicians in Massachusetts, as well as representatives of government and the plans. I know in Massachusetts, there's something called the Group Insurance Commission, and they've issued a policy on profiling. That's something that seems to be a hot topic in Massachusetts. Could tell the audience a little bit about what the GIC is and what they're trying to do to doctors? The Group Insurance Commission represents perhaps an extreme in the array or spectrum of profiling and reporting that is going on with physicians. The Group Insurance Commission insures the largest number of patients in the state. It's an employer. It is the largest employer in the state. It is the state. And so the state employees obtain their health insurance through a variety of plans, and the contracts are negotiated through the Group Insurance Commission. They are responsible for over a quarter of a million subscribers. As such, they have a great deal of sway with the six plans that they contract with. When they make a request to these plans, you can be sure that the plans do their best to try to meet all of the requirements. What did they do that you as president of the Massachusetts Medical Society reacted to? What concerned you about what they were trying to do? They have put in place a a means of measuring physician performance. And the goal is to look at the quality that physicians deliver and the cost of the care that physicians deliver, the cost being measured through what is called episode of treatment groups and the quality being measured through a series of proprietary measures from a company called Resolution Health. Many of these measures mimic the well-known HEDIS measures, but they may differ in some ways, and there may be some other measures that are not similar to HEDIS. Now, HEDIS was developed for HMOs. Does this apply? I mean, I imagine many of these patients are in a PPO environment. They are in a PPO environment, and the interesting thing here is that the Group Insurance Commission, through its bargaining power, has mandated that the plans with whom they contract turn over the claims data on all of their patients, not just the patients contracted by the Group Insurance Commission, but all of them. So this is all claims data-based? All claims data-based, and the data is de-identified by patient. It is only identified by physician, and then all of the plans data is merged so that there is one large collection for each physician. Now, you have your degree in quality measurement. Is claims data valid, especially if that's all they're using? There are problems with it, and I think we all realize that. I don't know a doctor 
who hasn't gotten a letter from a health plan saying you've missed doing a test on this patient only to find that the test was done or that the patient wasn't their patient to begin with. So there are clearly errors in, in trying to get these things done. Doctors may be uh, misattributed to patients. Lab work may not be recorded appropriately. And so the claims data has these holes in it. I wouldn't say claims data is hopeless, but I think if the physicians are given the opportunity to review the data, to use it, to correct it when it's wrong, then it has much more utility. If, however, the data collection process and use of it and reporting goes on independent of any sort of physician involvement, then the errors sometimes can decide the results. But it's not risk-adjusted. Not risk-adjusted at all. In a commentary published in the Boston Business Journal, December 14, 2007, you said, we believe physician rankings are critical for patients as well as doctors. I showed this to a colleague of mine who runs a moderate-sized group practice, and he said, Profiling is just another nail in the doctor's coffin and will continue to push doctors into concierge practices where all this crap won't mean a thing. Tell me why profiling is good. Convince me that I should join the profiling bandwagon. What I feel most strongly about is the fact that although medicine is an art and a science, as time goes on, we're moving more towards the science part. We have to recognize that part and make the most of it. We have to find that there are instances in which we can measure the work that we do and improve the work that we do using data. That is the critical thing here. We have to take advantage of all the data collection that is possible, analyze it, generate reports on ourselves, and try to improve the care that we deliver. The practice of medicine has gotten to the point where I don't believe physicians can simply rely upon their last experience or their worst experience to try to guide them in how to change the practice that they have. They need information that allows them to refine it even more. And if you're trying to improve yourself from a rate of missing patients for a particular test or problem of, you know, 10% down to a rate of 5%, you can't do that based on what you remember. You have to collect the information. And so it's that data collection and analysis by physicians to improve the care that they deliver that I think is most important. I'd like to come back to that measurement fact in just a moment, but take a pause here to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. My guest is Dr. Dale McGee, president of the Massachusetts Medical Society, and we're discussing physician profiling. Again, going back to quality measures, the data you're talking about, tell me, what's the data on the effect of physician profiling on quality improvement, cost, and denial of services, access to care, keeping people away from specialists, preventing secondary opinions that may be necessary. What have you learned from the data? Well, I think you make a very important point, and that is that access to care is an important component of healthcare delivery. It's an important component of improving the health of patients. So if you manipulate access to care, if you try to put in place one intervention or another, you may do so with the intention of trying to improve the quality or improve the cost or access, you may have the unintended effect of perhaps making any of those components worse. And if you don't measure the effect of your intervention, then you don't know if you're doing more harm than good. And right now, although we have oversight for drugs through the Food and Drug Administration and devices through the Food and Drug Administration, we don't have oversight for people who are conducting what amounts to experiments in access. That's what I feel like they're doing to me. And, you know, I don't get dinged for not doing a test. I seem to say, well, why'd you do that throat culture? Couldn't you tell the kid had strep throat? I mean, it's really it's just unbelievable. Right. And I think we are getting to the point 
where there are so many experiments going on in, in such a haphazard way that we really need the equivalent of a Food and Drug Administration for healthcare delivery. We really need someone to say, before you put in place an intervention in which you are trying to manipulate access to care or payment to physicians, that there has to be controls. You have to perform studies to see if this actually has the effect you want and if it's safe. And it has to be monitored going forward so that there's some science to this as well. And if we talk about transparency, if we talk about the use of data and evidence, it's not just the physicians practicing medicine that need to do that. It's also the plans and the various interventions that they put in place. Well, you're the chief guy over there in Massachusetts. Has the medical society set up something to begin to do this, to gather the data, to make proposals, to set up a prototype? You're the guy who has the degree. I mean, you're the president. What are you doing in Massachusetts? I wish being president had as much power as you imply. <laughs> we have been working on this a great deal. We have been trying to work with the plans, with the Group Insurance Commission, with their consultants. We have brought together uh, medical directors from various medical groups in the state, and we are trying to dissect this problem out. I think we're doing so from a couple of points of view. One is, is we are asking the plans, you know, what is the evidence that you're having the effect that you want? In fact, at a recent meeting, I said to representatives of the plans, are you collecting information to see if the group insurance commission's intervention is actually saving money? To my surprise, the answer was no, that they were not even trying to follow through to see if, in fact, the promised savings was actually occurring. By the same token, I have to recognize the fact that we do have to find ways to understand and rationally control costs and to improve quality. And I would like to see us make many of these interventions unnecessary by bringing the medical directors and large groups together to find ways in which we can collect information and use it to improve care. I'm going to turn the table here a little bit. And why haven't we started to actively rate the insurance plans? We're letting them get away with murder. Case in point, Natalie Sarkeesian the 17-year-old girl with leukemia who died because Cigna wouldn't approve a liver transplant until after she died. And the statement from their spokesperson said, although it is outside the scope of the plan's coverage, and despite the lack of medical evidence regarding the effectiveness of such treatment, Cigna Healthcare has decided to make an exception in this rare and unusual case. I mean, couldn't you just vomit from this? It is very worrisome, and I think this is what everybody worries about, that someone outside of the physician-patient relationship is going to make a life-and-death decision for them. I think that we have to reclaim the high ground here, and that's going to come when we use the data, when we improve the care, when we address the cost. The problem I have is that we often lack the tools at the point of care to make the decisions that need to be made with these considerations, for example, cost. When I order a test, or when I refer a patient for imaging, I don't know what that costs. I don't know how it fits into the equation that way. And as a result, we may inadvertently be ordering care for patients that may not bring value to their treatment. When you say you don't understand what it costs, Correct. is that because you have no access to the fee schedule? I mean, again, there's no list price in medicine anymore. It really doesn't matter what you charge. It's right. what you get paid. Exactly. So I guess if we are looking for transparency, don't we have to demand transparency from the insurance companies and not just sort of stagger around going, gee, I don't know what's costing? I mean, why can't we get the data? You're absolutely right, and I think it's incongruous that plans would lament the fact that doctors aren't doing enough to control the cost of health care while they also feel that the amount they're paying 
for particular services is a confidential contractual information. Uh, you can't have it both ways. And I believe that the care will be improved in the most safe manner when physicians have the ability to make these decisions rather than having to rely on people from plans who don't know the patient directly, aren't responsible for the patient, and are trying to work off guidelines that may not apply to the patient. We have to be able to do this. It's going to be safer when we do. I'd like to thank you very much, Dr. McGee, for being my guest and for discussing physician profiling with our audience. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and take advantage of our on-demand and podcast features, which allows you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.